Thank you for joining us at Truth Matters Church, contending for the faith one verse at a time. Today we hear part two of the message titled The Majestic Throne, where we take a careful look at what the Apostle John saw surrounding the Father's heavenly throne. There were angels, creatures, and elders, and we'll use scripture to learn more about the role of each one. If you missed the first part of this message, we encourage you to download that one for the full context. Here is Pastor Alex. Now I'd like for us to look at the second part of verse 5. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I've heard some interesting interpretations. So just like the 24 elders, I've heard some interesting interpretation explaining away what the 24 elders are or were or what it represented or that it was figurative. John saw 24 thrones. John saw 24 sitting upon the thrones and each they're wearing golden crowns with the white garment. There was 24 of them. Doesn't mean anything else. That's what he saw around the throne. There's 24 thrones around the throne. And along those lines, as far as seven lamps, I've heard some interesting interpretations of that. Oh, seven. It's the Holy Spirit. Or the sevenfold Spirit of God. Seven meaning completion. Or seven lamps, it's figurative or symbolic to mean gifts, graces, and the operations of the Spirit of God in the churches or that it merely symbolizes fullness or completion or perfection. And I want to quickly demonstrate that seven spirits or the seven lamps or seven spirits of God, it doesn't mean any of those things. And I'd like to cross-reference Luke for this to kind of bring home the point. And I want to pick, I want to pick up a, an account in Luke 11. And the scene was Jesus just casted out a demon. And the Pharisees alleged that it was by the ruler of demons that our Lord Um, that he cast out Satan. And the Lord made the point that Satan's kingdom divided against itself will not stand. So we're familiar with this verse or passage. But I want to pick it up in verse 24. Our Lord says, When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live in there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. So in this passage, when our Lord is communicating that when he cast out a demon, and at this time it was just one demon or one spirit, and he leaves that person, he said the the time came in this example that that Spirit wanted to come back and possess that person. But this time, he took seven other spirits more evil than itself. I want to ask us a question. Did this mean any of these? And from this Luke 11 passage, were these seven other spirits? Because if we're going to take the interpretation that are being presented for us in some of these teachings and commentaries, then along those lines, was the seven other spirits, was that Satan? Like the Satan? Kind of like the seven spirits is the Holy Spirit. Is the seven spirits here in this account Satan? Is it the sevenfold spirits of Satan? Is it the activity of Satan? Or is it symbolic just to mean utter evil? Or is it none of the above? None of the above. Our passage tells us who they are. They are seven other unclean spirits. Seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And... 
kind of raises another question. Who are demons? Who are demons? Angels that joined the rebellion. Fallen angels. So the seven other unclean spirits are seven other fallen angels, evil and wicked like himself. See, here's what's interesting. When we read, when, I'm sure if we read this and we said that he took seven other spirits, you know how we read it? He took seven other spirits. How come with that, you go to Revelation, oh, seven doesn't mean seven anymore. It's something else. It's like, then how am I going to understand Scripture? That's why we have to have these rules of engagement because you can't change the rules. Okay, in the Gospels, you can interpret it literally, but in Revelation, it's all figurative and symbolic with no literal meaning and no literal interpretation. Well, then why is there, why is there even a book? It's silly. It's silly if you really think about it. Back to our key verse. What or who are the seven lamps? Here, uh, here's one for starters. Let's stick with the verse. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, he tells us, which are the seven spirits of God. Seven lamps equals seven spirits of God. So whoever or whatever the seven spirits of God are, they are associated with these seven lamps that John saw in this vision. So does anyone want to take a guess who those seven spirits are referring to? I'll give us a hint. If there was seven other evil spirits meant seven fallen angels, wicked like itself, who do you think these seven lamps or these seven spirits of God are in this vision? The good angels. That's right. See, you guys got it. Seven holy angels. He saw seven holy angels. And there was lamps that were associated for each one of them. And this is, this is, this is great because, remember, when our Lord, in, in, earlier in this vision in chapter 1, when John saw in his hand, he, uh, our Lord, our risen Lord, had seven stars, which are the seven angels over the seven churches. Seven angels over seven churches. There was one angel for each church. Here we have seven lamps associated with seven Spirits of God, which are seven angels. There are seven angels. Doesn't mean anything more than that. There's a lot of angels. We just read Daniel. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. Myriads upon myriads were attending him. So would it surprise you that these seven and that seven, and there's this and there's that, that they're all different, but they all have a specific and unique task? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Here's the interpretation. The seven lamps of fire burning before the throne are the seven spirits of God who are seven holy angels. So if you're taking notes, you can write seven lamps equals seven spirits of God equals seven holy angels who are before the throne. And we're going to look more on those seven holy angels as we progress. But for now, let's also see what John sees before the throne in verse 6. This is where it's going to get a little bizarre. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, there's four living creatures full of eyes front and behind. So this one's going to be a little bizarre in some regards, but we're going to try our best to kind of walk through this one. So John said, before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. So what is that sea of glass? First, I want to look at the Greek. There are two words for sea, or that could be, there's two Greek words that could be translated as sea in our English. There's pelagos, which generally refers to the ocean, like a vast expanse of water or the open sea. So if you were to, let's say, 
be out there, out in the middle of the ocean, and you want to say you're out at sea, you would say you're out at the Pelagos. This is, there's this just vast expanse of water or open sea. And then there's this other word for sea in the Greek, and it's thalassa. And that word could, re- could generically refer to the sea versus land. If you want to say, okay, there's sea and land. And it can also be used to describe more, more of the seashore, more of the shore of the sea versus out there. So these two Greek words you know, could be used depending on what it is you're trying to communicate. In verse 6, it's thalassa. So it's more of the, like saying, you know, there's, instead, of sea, instead of land, it's sea. And it's also used could also be used to describe more of the shallow sea or the, or the seashore part of the sea. And he says he also sees, it's like crystal, it's crystallos. And that was only used twice, and it's only in this book. And crystallos, it's, it's water solidified by cold, and it resembles ice. So the next thing I like to do is I say, okay, okay, we got that, okay. He, there's the thalassa, and he says it's like a sea, so he's, it's not land, it's more like sea, like a sea of glass, like crystal. And what I want to do from here is, I look to Scripture, when was sea, glass, and crystal, any of those combinations used? So to see if we can get a little more insight onto what John is trying to communicate in this vision. And there's only one connection point that I was able to come up with, and that was in Ezekiel 1. And I read that last time. But if you recall, in Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel was taken in vision, and he saw into heaven, into heaven's throne as well. So he sees a similar vision uh, that John sees, and he, Ezekiel mentions crystal. And I want to look at Ezekiel one twenty-two. He says, Over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, Expanses like sky, like the awesome gleam of crystal, and it spread out over those four living beings' heads. So whatever that sea of glass is, it's kind of like the sky that's over the heads of these four living creatures in Ezekiel's vision. And the only other mention of sea of glass in the New Testament is later in this book, in chapter 15. John wrote there, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had the seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image, and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservants of God. So here's what we can deduce. What is the sea of glass? If we look at the reference of Revelation 15 and that he saw a sign in heaven and that sign was seven angels who had seven plagues who will finish administering the wrath of God. And John also saw a victorious group standing on that sea of glass. If we put it together, here's my best deduction of what John was describing as a sea of glass that's before the throne. The sea of glass is some sort of sky, some sort of portal between heaven and earth. And that sea of glass is some, it's the, some sort of entry point for angels to ascend and descend to and from. So before the throne, it's as if that sea of glass is the access point to come into this, creative, into this creation. 
It's this portal. It's kind of like the sky portal. And that is before the throne. So we can deduce, if we look at uh, Exodus 19, and the Father came down, he came through that sea of glass, and he arrived ultimately on Mount Sinai. Because when I pull this together, that's the best that I can deduce on what the sea of glass was, and it was like crystal. Because if you ever wonder, how do they get from heaven to earth and vice versa, the sea of glass comes into play. At least that's my best deduction. You still with me? John also saw four living creatures. He saw in the center and around the throne four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Let me ask you a question. Who are the four living creatures? I'm not, I don't expect you to know that. They're creatures that are alive. That's a good answer. Creatures is zoon, and it also is translated animals. So it could really be four living animals or animal-like. John saw four living creatures that resembled animals, and they are living beings. And he describes the first creature like a lion. He describes the second creature like a calf. He describes the third creature like a man. And he describes the fourth creature like a flying eagle. Okay, I'm going to see if you're with me in terms of how to approach and interpret Scripture. When he saw the first creature like a lion, what did he look like? A lion. When he saw the second creature like a calf, and this is more on the youngling side, so he's young, grr, what, do you, what did that living creature look like? A calf. When he saw one like a man, he's like, okay, you're more like me. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. What did he look like? An eagle. We're like, oh no, it's not really like a lion. They didn't look like a lion. He said it's like a lion. You're like, oh, but he means character. I'm telling you, some of this can go crazy. Oh, this characteristic like a lion. Roar. And then he said, he, said <laughs> he would have used other terms. <laughs> he said, I saw. And he was like a lion. Don't redefine it. That's what I'm saying. This is bizarre. You know, we see some sci-fi movies and stuff like that, and you see some interesting characters in movies, and that's why when you see someone even try to make kind of an alien-like, lifelike creature, it's kind of fascinating to us. But someone conjured that up in their head and made a movie out of it. Well, in, in this case, these four living creatures look like these four living beings. The lion is a living being. It's just on the animal side of things. They don't have a human soul. They have a soul. They're a living creature. And these four creatures were like a lion, like a calf, like a man, and like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, verse 8, each one of them having six wings are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. So these four living creatures, they had their own distinct resemblance, but they also had this in common. Here's what they had in common. They had six wings. All four of these living creatures had six wings. And they were full of eyes around and within. And what's characteristic and what they share in common, they never ceased praising the one who is sitting on the throne. From here... Because we're introduced to four living creatures around the throne here in Revelation 4. 
In Ezekiel's vision, when he was taken into heaven, he saw four living creatures. And I want to at least summarize what Ezekiel saw and then ask the question, are they the same living beings or are they two sets of four and are different? But to do that, we need to compare. So in Ezekiel 1.5, he said there were four living beings, but he said they had human form. Okay, he didn't mention lion, didn't mention calf, didn't mention like a flying eagle, at least yet. In Ezekiel 1.6, each of them had four faces and four wings. In Ezekiel 1.7, their legs were straight and their feet were like a calf's hoof. They didn't have human feet. And under their wings, on their four sides, were human hands. And each had the face of a man. All four had the face of a lion and the face of a bull and the face of an eagle. I want to get into a little conjecture here. I did make the comment before that the four living beings in Ezekiel 1 are the four living creatures in Revelation 4. I stand corrected again. I was guilty of violating even our own rules of engagement because I didn't know what it was yet. But you know the error when uh, there's a lot of teachings out there, especially when we, we studied and went through Daniel's visions. And when we had this, the, statue of, uh, the great statue of Nebuchadnezzar and that these four medals on this great statue represented the four world powers that will follow. And there's a lot of teachings out there that later in Daniel's vision, when he saw four beasts arising from the great sea or the Rab Yam, a lot of teaching out there said, oh, there's four kingdoms in this statue, and now he's just saying it again as four beasts. Because four, oh, there's four. There happens to be four here. And somehow, a lot of the teaching just assumed that they're speaking of the same thing. And we went through that at length. They are completely separate. In fact, the four beasts are four kings or kingdoms that will follow. And those four are prophecy even towards the end. Whereas the four metals, the head of gold, the bronze, uh, the, the man, I'm not putting myself on the spot here. Head of gold, uh, breastplate of, yeah, I wanted to say silver, and then bronze, and then iron, right? But those represented the world powers, even beginning with Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the Babylonian kingdom, and then to the Persian rule, and then ultimately to Greece, and then ultimately to Rome. But these four beasts are four, also four kings or four kingdoms, but it's not them. And we, we learned that. But I used to have to say, I was guilty of oh, four, four living creatures, four living creatures, it's them. But if you were to put their descriptions side by side, they are similar in some ways, but they are also distinct in other ways. And here was one, this just said it all. In Revelation 4, they had one face and six wings. And in Ezekiel 1, they had four faces and they had four wings. Ezekiel saw these four living creatures with four wings only. And John here in Revelation 4 sees these four living creatures with six wings. They don't add up, so don't make it fit. So I put that. Revelation 4, the four creatures, doesn't equal the four living creatures described in Ezekiel 1. There are other distinctions, but in the interest in time, I'm not going to indulge on that. And quite frankly, and I mentioned this, this vision is beyond me. It's beyond human comprehension. 
But if you ask me, I believe that these are eight high-ranking hosts of heaven, and they have particular roles and activities. In the case of the four living creatures in Revelation 4, you know, one of their responsibilities is unending praise to him who sits on the throne. So let's go back to our key verse. These four living creatures have something to say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. I want to give us some more brownie points here. Which person of the Trinity is being praised here? The Father. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Now, and Jeremy, I was listening to Truth Matters Radio today, and uh, who was it? Andrew Murray. I'm listening, just passing, listening and passing while I exercise. And he makes the comment that the Lord Jesus is sitting on the throne. I want to ask Andrew, where? Where did you get that? Oh, but isn't Jesus God and all that stuff? And isn't that what we're contending for the faith and that, you know, the, the doctrines of grace? Aren't we protecting this? I go, no, I, I get it. We want to protect as far as his word and his truth. Absolutely, we're entrusted with that. But where do you get Jesus sitting on the throne? Because, and I mentioned this before, because we, there's this tendency, even in early church history, to oversimplify the Godhead and just say Jesus is God and that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, meaning that he's sitting down on the throne in heaven. And we've learned this. He has the authority to sit on his Father's throne as he also overcame and will allow certain people, certain believers, probably all of us, or if not certain ones, to sit on his throne. And that's the throne of David. But So okay, let's look at this praise from these four living creatures. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. Isn't this book about the revelation of Jesus Christ? Isn't Jesus the one who is and who was and who is to come? Amen. Amen. And I've spoiled this earlier in our He is who, he who is to come study back in chapter 1. We've got to get this. The Father is coming too, but not until after Jesus returns. The Father is not coming until after Jesus returns and after Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years, after Jesus is finished punishing and judging all evil and all sin. The Father won't come until Jesus fulfills all of the prophecies concerning Him and won't come until this present heavens and present earth pass away. The Father will arrive when the new heaven and new earth and the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. And that comes to pass. All that is to say, if you ask me, this book can also be considered the revelation, the apocalypsis of the Lord Jesus Christ and God His Father. There's going to be a revelation of both in its own time, its own timing. We're almost done in the remaining verses 9 through 11. And when the living creatures give glory and honor to Him who sits on the throne and to Him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever. 
and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. A few comments from this verse. May I introduce us to heaven's worship team? I think we can relate with this. A typical church service, at least here in the Western world, you'll go to a church service. There's usually the structure is there's praise and worship. So there's a praise and worship team. They lead the congregation in the praise and worship. So that's part of a service that we're accustomed to here in the Western world, and at least at this time. So we can get the, you know, there's a place for this praise and worship team. Well, heaven has its own worship team led by the choir directors, the four living creatures. And they're not alone. Part of their team is the 24 elders. Whenever the four living creatures praise the one sitting on the throne, the 24 elders get off their throne, they cast their crowns before Him and join in the praise and worship saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and because of Your will they existed. The four living creatures and the 24 elders lead the worship around heaven's throne. That's a pretty privileged role and I would suppose, well-deserved. And I've made my comment on who I think the 24 elders are and that they partook of that resurrection. When Christ rose from the dead, Matthew tells us that out of the tombs, there were many who were raised and even appeared in, the, in Jerusalem. That they were this special group that participated in that special resurrection and that would help explain how they were redeemed wearing white robes and golden crowns. And what fits best are the Old Testament prophets who were killed and martyred for being faithful in delivering and proclaiming His Word. They were rewarded, if you were to ask me, this just makes sense, by being allowed to sit around a throne and be part of the Father's worship team. Pretty cool. Can you ask us some questions? Which person of the Trinity is being spoken of here in verse 11? Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. The Father. We're not introduced to the Son until we see the Lamb as though slain. Until we see the Lion from the tribe of Judah. When John switches in vision, the focus will go from the Father to the Son, who is also around the throne. It's God the Father being spoken of still here. Here's the truth, and I've, you know, hopefully we've got this hammered in on, into us. The Father here created all things, and it's because of the Father's will they existed and were created. So when we come across Scripture that talks about Christ, you know, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And that here we have clearly, what's clear in at least the opening of John's Gospel, is the Lord Jesus Christ, His Creator. You get into the other epistles, the Colossians, 
Christ. He's the image of the invisible God through all things. You know, nothing came into being apart from him. But there's this oversimplification that's saying, you know, Christ is the creator, just like Christ is God, and kind of leave it there. And what we've learned is that the Lord Jesus Christ is co-creator with his Father. And that the Father didn't create apart from the Son, but through the Son. A good way to look at it, because here he says, worthy are you, and he's talking to the Father, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and, po- pow- and honor and power for you, O Father. You created all things. And because of your will, the Father's will, they existed and were created. It was the Father's plan and will to create, but He didn't create apart from His Son. It can be said that the Father desired and willed for this creation and for all things to come into being, but He says, Son, help me with this and carry out my will and my desire. So the Father created all things and all things exist because of His will, and the Lord Jesus is co-creator in his Father's will and plan. He is the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. They're both creator. And all I'm trying to do is put our perspective of the Trinity back in balance. And what I'm finding as we're navigating through this text, it's still balanced to the Father. To the Father. That takes us to the end of chapter 4. Thank you for joining us today at Truth Matters Church. Truly an incredible and awesome scene painted for us by the Apostle John as he was privileged to be taken into the majestic throne room of God the Father. And so much for believers to look forward to as we anticipate sharing his experience as redeemed saints. We encourage you to check out our website for hundreds of hours of expository teaching. That is truthmatterschurch.org. And you can also find information on joining our study in person or online. Again, our website, truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.